welcome to another episode of the Extraordinary Moms Podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every Tuesday I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two extraordinary moms look the same. We all have a story to tell, and we are all mothering in our own way. So let's celebrate that and learn from one another. Thanks for listening, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 224 of the podcast. I have an incredible episode for you today. My guest is Brittany Fisher Frank. After suffering a very traumatic fall in 2012 that left her a T12 paraplegic, Brittany has went on to conquer every hurdle, every odd, and has gone on to live a truly extraordinary life, including recently becoming a first-time mom. So today we're going to talk about the accident. We're going to talk about overcoming that huge obstacle in her life, how she's doing now, and what it's been like to parent from a wheelchair. She is a remarkable human being and mother, and I cannot wait to share it with you today. So let's get to it with Brittany Frank. All right. I am so thrilled to be chatting with Brittany Frank today. Hey, Brittany. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. It's my it's pleasure. It's so fun listening to your podcast, and now I'm here. Yay. Well, I'm glad that you found it, and you've been enjoying it. There are just so many women we can learn from. Has that always been something where you have you know, looked to others for encouragement and inspiration? I do. I just love people's stories. I believe everyone has a story, so I love that they truly, we truly are ordinary women on on your podcast, and it's just mm-hmm. fun to to hear bits and pieces of others. Yeah, I totally agree. I to- it's just a matter of really believing that your story has value. You know, it's not the extraordinary circumstances. It's it's mm-hmm. just what you bring to the table is extraordinary. I think so. It is such a pleasure to be getting to hear your story today, Brittany. I've been following you for a little while, and every time, not only am I blown away when you share bits and pieces of the bigger part of your story, the predominant part of the overcoming part, but just your day-to-day joy that you share, it just resonates so much with me, and I have loved following along. Oh, thank you. That's good to hear that the joy is shining through, that it's not just all about the accident, all about what changed my life, that it really is the smaller, smaller, more joyful moments. Yes, it totally is. It totally is. So for people that may not know you, will you just go ahead and just give a little background on yourself? Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, my name is Brittany Fisher Frank. Um, some may, may identify more with the Fisher. That's what I was mostly through college. Um, I didn't get married until after college, but I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, a little town called Naperville. Um, and I was a middle child there, and I just grew up loving to be outdoors, playing sports. And I moved out to Utah in 2009 when I attended Utah State. Um, where I graduated in elementary education, and I've gone on to get married and had a family, but that's kind of just the the brief overview. I'm pretty pretty boring and normal as far as <laughs> my background goes. On just paper, your average girl. Yeah, for sure. I was also an elementary school teacher and um, just loved all my education in terms of that. And being a teacher was was so fun. And then, how old is your baby now? Um, he is almost five months. Oh my gosh, it is so fun, and he is just darling. Oh, he's a he's a hoot. We yeah. love him. That's for sure. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I know that you really do want to share the joy and the everyday in the everyday. But let's go back to that accident. If people aren't familiar, will you go back a few years? Was it 2012? 
Tell me about your life in 2012 prior to the accident. What did it look like for you? Yeah, so life was pretty perfect as of March 2012. I was in my junior year at Utah State. I was running cross-country and track for the university, and I was actually healthy, no stress fractures. Um, I just really felt like I was my best self, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Um, I just had a good social life, everything. I felt closer to the Lord than I ever had in my life. Um, And so everything was just really going my way, and Coach had had given us um, the weekend off. We had just won indoor conference, and we had a weekend before we traveled to Arizona for our first outdoor meet of the season. So he'd given us kind of the weekend off. We still needed to get our workouts in, but we didn't have to be there in Logan. And I'm from Chicago, so I didn't have time to fly home to see my family. Um, and so I decided to to go on a climbing trip with some friends down in St. George, and I'd never been to St. George before. And I just fell in love. I left Friday right after practice. We woke up Saturday morning by 7 a.m. We were out climbing and playing and having fun. I think I went on like three runs that day. (laughs) And it was just, I was on cloud nine, um, being in the Red Rock and that beautiful scenery that I'd never seen before. And so are you ready for me to jump into all that? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right. It's just, it's a, it's a lot once I get started. So no, I wanted to make you're, sure. You're good. Um, so, so from there, um, I was invited out for a moonlight rappel on Sunday night. So I'd had this fabulous Saturday and Sunday we'd had a little more low key and gone to church and gone, done some hiking. Um, and then I had been invited out for a moonlight rappel and, if you haven't already gotten this just from me, I'm always down for adventure and the outdoors. And so when I was invited, I I accepted so quickly. Um, and it was out at Cougar Cliffs, which is on your way to Snow Canyon, if you're familiar with um, St. George area. And it's there that I, I took my last independent steps because um, during the rappel, I ended up falling about 80 to 100 feet. And upon impact, um, you can imagine a lot of things went went wrong. And upon impact, I broke a whole lot of bones. Hmm. And um, initially, I... Um, I relate it to cliff jumping when you have gone cliff jumping into water. It was that same feeling of falling and falling, and I didn't know how far I was from the bottom. Hmm. Um, And then when I hit, I went out for a little bit and um, came back to my senses. And the beginning was was definitely the toughest, trying to breathe again after that kind of fall. And after a little while, though, things things settled down. I, I thought I was in shock. I thought that's why I couldn't. Um, feel or move my legs and my hand was severely burnt and numerous other broken bones but I thought oh you know like we'll just piggyback out of here I'm gonna have some broken legs but um, we'll just tell coach I won't be able to run next week and and apologize to him oh um, okay so you did did you realize how far that was at the time or did it feel like it was happening so fast you didn't think it could be that bad or you're just in shock. I I was at the at the top of the cliff. I never had seen over the edge, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so I never saw how how high it was, and mm. it was a full moon, and you could still see, but I I couldn't 
I mean, I wasn't laying on the edge of the cliff looking over at what I was going to go do. Okay. Um, so I definitely had no idea the height. It's different than climbing up and realizing how far it was to climb up. Repelling downwards, yes. you're not sure quite how far. That makes more sense to me now. Okay. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, Perspective-wise, yeah. you're kind of going down backwards, if that makes sense, rather yeah. than, yeah, looking upwards. And <sighs> I it was just so elated to be outside and felt at such peace out in nature, looking up at the stars and the moon and, and whatnot. So it really was a peaceful time, even after I'd hit the ground. And hmm. it took a while to, to get help. Um, the fellow I was with had to hike around and, and get his phone to call, um, and first the search and rescue got to me, but it, it took a while. And then the life flight had to be brought in just because of where I'd fallen. It was really difficult to, to get to. Hmm. Um, so from there, I was life flighted to Las Vegas. And that's where all the tests began and surgeries and chaos. And from from Las Vegas, I was there for about 10 days until I was stable enough to be moved to a rehabilitation hospital in Colorado called Craig Hospital. It was just a rehabilitation hospital for um, spinal cord injuries and traumatic brain injuries. And that became my home for the next three and a half months while I learned to live life again <sighs> and heal. <laughs> wow. Okay. So you get life lighted out and they start doing the tests. What was your initial, what were you initially told? Yeah, so it was so overwhelming. The first time I remember like feeling like I'm alone, it's peaceful, I could go to sleep because I hadn't slept yet that night hmm. was in the MRI machine. And I've had an MRI since and that is not peaceful. They are so yeah. loud and so scary. But for me, those were my first peaceful moments. Um and it was also overwhelming. I mean, they had explained that I had a spinal cord injury, that my T12 vertebrae had burst, and that's what had left me paralyzed from the waist down. They'd said, you know, all these broken bones. But at the time, it was just so overwhelming that I didn't really focus in on any specific thing mm -hmm. that that they said. All I knew is I just need to talk to my dad before I sign these papers for surgery. Like, let me just talk to my dad before I sign my life away. <laughs> Wow. And so were you able to talk to him? I was, yeah. Yeah, you got like this memory of the direction I was facing and they had the phone stretched over to the bed to me. And What did you tell him? You know, like it was just so much. I don't even remember what I told him. I yeah. just remember asking like, should I um, sign these papers? Because my dad works in the healthcare field and he figured out who the doctors were and just uh -huh. making sure I had the best care. But really at that point, I just needed any care you needed help right um, so mm -hmm. I think he helped me realize you know this needs to happen well and for any parent now that you're a mom you realize like getting that phone call is the worst fear oh of every gosh. parent you I know I don't think I'll ever live it down it was right yeah, early in the morning for them and I think my mom got the phone call that I was officially paralyzed she <gasps> had gotten on a flight right away and she was about to turn her cell phone off and she had gotten a call from my dad or someone who like who had been confirmed that I was paralyzed and and so she got this this phone call that her daughter is paralyzed, not just like falling off a cliff and broken bones, but paralyzed. And then she had to turn her phone off from I don't know how many yeah. hours, but Chicago to Las Vegas. So talk that, about I'll never long, live that down. Talk sure. about a long flight. Absolutely. So you went into surgery and 
After 10 days in the hospital, you go to the rehab facility. What was your condition when you arrived at the rehab facility? And had it really sunk in what your new normal was going to be like? Or what did you what did you picture? Or was it one day at a time? Oh, I, there's just a flood of memories. Like mm-hmm. early on in ICU, I remember looking down at my legs for the first time. I'd been so scared that night and the days after that bones had been sticking out. And so I like refused to look down and... And when I looked down at my legs for the first time, just seeing how swollen and cut up and lifeless they were, that was kind of the first, one of the first waves of reality that, you know, this is not some simple injury. I'm not going to bounce back from this so quickly. You know, I had a positive attitude and was so optimistic, but seeing my legs for the first time really sunk in. And then the medical flight from Las Vegas to Colorado was so painful. They get, I was living on pain medicine every three hours, Mm -hmm. but just all that transferring and moving around, I'd gotten to this new hospital. They took me on a tour of the whole hospital, showed me everything, all their state of the art equipment. And I just happened to see someone out the window go by on a bike and I just lost it. I started crying, just realizing that's not going to be in my life anymore. This is my life now. Um, Hmm. And so each each stage kind of brought a new reality with it, especially because everything was changing so much early on. But those were kind of two of the moments that that stick out in my memory of it really sinking in. Yeah, and that's a lot to take in in a very short span of time. Because not only are you going through the physical trauma, there is that emotional shift of perspective of what that new normal is going to look like. And that's a lot to process very quickly. Oh, yeah. I went through an identity crisis within the first few days before I was this 21-year-old athlete, runner, rock climber, all these physical things. And I really had to learn who Brittany Fisher was. And it Mm. wasn't those superficial and physical attributes. Well, and you said... Yeah, and you said before the accident that you were kind of living your best life. You know, you were strong spiritually, physically, mentally. You were doing great in school, all of these things. Do you see now that that was a time of preparation to get you equipped for what you were about to face? Have you really thought through that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just really, I don't feel like God causes bad things to happen, but I feel like he allows them and prepares us. Mm -hmm. And I definitely felt prepared and I felt like, you know what? Gravity should have killed me that night. You know, that, that, that's where I really feel like God intervened, but he wasn't going to completely stop the effects of gravity. He wasn't going to change the laws of motion. Um, but enough that, that I survived and, yeah. And more than survived and thriving now. But. Right. And you had that inner strength to get you through even the hardest days, even seeing somebody on a bike and grieving that. Because all of those are natural emotions, even when you have a faith and a strength that I can do, I can get through this, whatever it's going to look like, there's still an underlying strength to get you through even those hardest days. Most definitely. Yeah. Something that is truly miraculous to me, and I'm sure it is to you too, is you did not have any brain injury. Is that correct? That is so correct. And a detail that I tend to skim over was I didn't have a helmet on that night. So yeah, to fall 80 to 100 feet and to land on my feet and topple back the way I did. I mean, I really feel like my ability to build relationships, to talk to you, to use my brain in full capacity 
was saved. I really do because it, <sighs> it should not. It should not be the way it is. Right. I mean, that's, I'm so grateful. That's not to discount all the other challenges you've had to overcome physically, but that is truly a miracle, and it shows God's hand in being able to preserve that aspect so that you can work through other aspects. Yeah. Yeah. There's another episode that you must listen to, and it's with Janie Ward. Her daughter um, was hiking and fell off of a cliff 80 feet, um, and this was two summers ago, and she did suffer a traumatic brain injury and is doing so, so well now um, and has just worked so very hard. But seeing such remarkable young people and the, the ability for our body to overcome through hard work is just a miracle. Tell me what those early days of physical therapy and even up till recently, did they tell you you were going to be in a wheelchair forever? Did they plan on you walking? What, what were you told and what were kind of some of your early goals? Yeah, so doctors in the medical world definitely don't want to give you false hope, so they're going to give you the worst-case scenario. So in any situation when you're meeting with the doctor, like take that, not with a grain of salt because they're medical professionals. They definitely know what they're talking about, but they definitely prepared me for 100% life in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. But I'm what they call an incomplete paraplegic, which means my spinal cord wasn't severed. Um, So there was still potential for some nerve regeneration, and and there was but it was such a slow process and it's a huge question mark like some incompletes use a wheelchair all the time and for me um gosh it's just overwhelming floods of memories but physical therapy was so painful and so hard and it started with transferring to the mat just learning to to sit up and balance to transferring in and out of bed and learning how to get dressed just those basic tasks to starting to stand to starting to walk to sitting in the shower feeling warm water underneath my feet for the first time in months um like i said these incomplete injuries are big question marks of how much you'll get back and so i just told myself i'm gonna work as hard as i can for as long as i can to see what i get back and that process was about three years i i went to physical therapy three to five days a week for about three years and it was hard work every every ounce of of energy and focus and resilience went into into those little movements that led to me eventually walking with a walker to walking with arm crutches is kind of where I'm at now um you're amazing. You're amazing, Brittany. <laughs> oh my gosh, my eyes are just welling with tears. So primarily now you are in a wheelchair, but you're able to use arm crutches. How often do you use those and what for what purpose? What's what does yeah, that allow you to do? It's a juggling act for sure. It's hard because I I have full sensation now. So sitting in my wheelchair is so uncomfortable. Like people are always like, oh, that'd be so nice to sit down in a wheelchair. Like when you're out running errands, like, no, I get what I call butt anxiety. Like my butt is tired of sitting. Like I have to get up. Um, So I typically use my wheelchair for errands and going around a mall or grocery store. And then I use my arm crutches um, for short distances, and I use a walker around the house. So I have a lot of wheels and equipment. Okay, yeah, that kind of help me get around. But I definitely love standing the most, standing and walking as much as I can. I just get really tired and don't have a lot of muscle strength. So yeah, it's it's pretty exhausting. <laughs> Amazing, but I bet your upper body is just like ripped. <laughs> 
<laughs> not as big as I thought it would get, but that's good. I didn't want like man arms. That was my joke in the hospital. I don't want man arms. I don't want so. man arms. Nobody does. That's amazing. Gosh. And so you said you kind of had to relearn your identity and your identity was tied a lot to your physical achievements before. And you thought, I'm really going to have to re-envision. Was there certain ways that you went about shifting that identity? And are you still working through that? What have you learned about identity and where you draw your worth and your capabilities from? Yeah, I I learned pretty early on just through prayer and studying um, the scriptures um, and also just listening to different talks and uplifting uplifting podcasts and things podcasts weren't really as much of a thing back in 2012 though mm-hmm. but um but I really learned that my identity is in the divine and eternal roles of of women such as daughters being a daughter being a sister being a future wife and mother I mean being a wife and motherhood was far far away back in 2012 mm-hmm. but I realized that those things were part of my identity um, regardless of my body, regardless of my injury, regardless of my abilities, and that they were a part of my identity before I came here to earth, while I'm here on earth, and afterwards. And mm. that's just really what's given me the most solid foundation of, of identity. Um, it's just just those divine and eternal, the qualities that aren't physical, you know, such as mm-hmm. bravery and courage and resilience and perseverance these words that we don't typically say like oh use three words to describe yourself you know sometimes it's our, what we look like or what we, what do, we do but uh-huh. um but we're so much more than that and it it took me falling off a cliff and becoming paralyzed to to realize that but I hope everyone can listen to this or and know that their worth and their identity is so much more than the body that they're in and the body that they're given. Yeah, and you would hope that we all would not have to wait for that traumatic event in our life, the huge challenge to get that wake-up call, right? We can hear from people like you and other incredible people who have overcome things and had that moment of reckoning that can educate us, like, don't wait. Don't wait around to really believe in who you are and what you were made for. I want that for yeah. myself as much. Like we're preaching the choir here, you know? Most definitely. Yeah. Oh, man. So incredible. Were there things that people did or said during especially those first three years of really the trying, most trying times that were helpful or encouraging or just helped move you through that that phase is there anything that sticks out um the biggest thing I noticed early on is you know when there's problems and 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 trials and difficulties is to just show up for your friends and family Hmm. I had friends fly out and just show up some surprised me others planned it and and they just showed up in the hospital and were there and that is regardless of what you say or do once you show up showing up is the biggest the biggest thing you can do for someone in, in times of need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so many people don't know what to say, and so then they don't show up. And then they feel bad about not showing up. And then the longer it goes, the worse they feel, right? But it's really never yeah. too late either, is it? 
And, you know, even if you don't know their favorite milkshake or their favorite food, I fell in love with these Nutella shakes. We we met friends there and in the church that we went to there, and they would bring me Nutella shakes and like, or just come bring me a magazine in the hospital or a couple other friends just brought me decorations for my hospital room. They didn't know what it was or wasn't going to like, but right. they just did it. Right. They didn't ask. You just show up, and that's, I think, the most important thing. Mm-mm. Sometimes showing up with something delicious is good too though you know that never hurts that never hurts yeah exactly so after your accident you probably envisioned your future differently here you were running cross country and now you were not going to be able to run anymore how did your vision of your future shift and change and did it open up in positive ways as well as having to grieve the things that you knew you were losing Gosh, there's such good questions. I mean, the first thing I wish I could go back and tell myself is loss is loss, regardless of what you've lost, whether that's a loved one, whether that's a job or financial security or health, Mm -hmm. loss is loss. And with loss and love um, comes grief. And it took me a long time to to almost give myself credit to grieve my body and my old life and also future events that would be changed. And that process was really shocking and really rocked my world and took a long time, but it was a long process early on. I definitely questioned like, who's ever going to want to date me again? Cause no one will ever know the old Brittany, the audacious, outgoing, adventurous runner, rock climber. Um, now anyone I would date or anyone new I would meet would only know this new paralyzed Brittany. Mm. Um, that was obviously very early on. My thinking was pretty, pretty skewed. And I remember grieving motherhood before I even wanted to be a mother. I, I was in a stage of life where I was pretty focused on myself and wasn't sure if motherhood was in my cards and, Um, And I remember being sad about not being able to hold a baby on my hip and dance and move around the kitchen and around the house. And that was the first time that I realized, like, oh, I do want to be a mother. If I'm sad about this, like, it must be deep down inside me. Um, And so just looking towards the future was was hard at first. But as I went back to school and um, finished my degree and walked at graduation Um, things slowly started to come together before they fell apart again. Um, and I really had to, had to grieve because I went back to school and just put those blinders on and got done what needed to be done and kind of shunned all those feelings of grief and loss. And they all came, came surfacing back up, um, about a year and a half later when, when I really had to face, face that identity crisis and, and this change and it's, it's taken time, but I feel like I've really gotten there, especially as I've mm-hmm. gotten to, to fulfill those roles as a wife and a mother. Those have really helped Yeah, just kind of complete me and make me whole. Yeah. And it's so interesting how you said the old Brittany, you know, who, who in your mind, you know, was so appealing, you know, and <laughs> then it's hard to reconcile with all these shifts is this new package appealing? You know, that's what, that's what your mind's telling you. And it's and it's a lie if it's not. But tell me, who's Brittany today? How is she different? And and how would you describe yourself today? Yeah, today I, I've realized that, you know, 
everyone's like, oh, a moment can change everything. And, and yes, a moment can change everything physically. I was paralyzed in a moment, but I don't feel like I was changed in a moment. I didn't all of a sudden become this new Brittany hmm. um, in that moment. It took those months of, of going through grief and sorrow, those years of, of hard work. And, and now today I just see so much more empathy and compassion in myself. Um, I've really had to slow down and, and enjoy the moments that I'm in with the body I have. And, and now I really truly identify as a, as a wife and mother and friend and sister and daughter. And just, just those qualities I was talking about before, just the bravery and courage and integrity and resilience that I've had to, had to build, um, those are those are the things that I I stand on top of now, mm. um, as as new quote unquote new yeah. Brittany. <laughs> and that is so much more than being able to run really far. That is so much more than crossing a finish line. Like the depth that you have been able to achieve through this introspective process, as well as the physical process. Gosh, you're a catch, you know? <laughs> That's amazing. So tell me about meeting your sweet husband and you got married. Tell me about that. Yes. Oh, Team Trevor is how it started off. Oh. We, met, <laughs> we met about six, um, no, it was longer than that, about nine months after my accident. I had gone back to school a month after my accident, so it, it hadn't even been six months when I went back to school and we'd met for the first time. And... Um, it wasn't until almost a year out that we went on our first date, a year out from my accident, that we went on our first date, and it was cute because, or ridiculous, he, I'm sure, had never been on a date where he had to load a walker into the back of his car when we went out, so he proceeded to load my walker in and out as, as we went to and from this date, and when we got back from our first date, I was being stubborn and said, like, oh, you don't need to worry about walking me to the door. I've got this. And and he still walked me to the door. And this is where his favorite catchphrase comes in. I tripped over the threshold, which, honestly, since my accident, the fall of the accident, I really had never, like, fallen again. Oh, wow. And, of course, I trip over the threshold, and there he is to catch me. And he always jokes that on the first date that I fell for him. <laughs> Right, right into his arm. Perfect. He will always be there to catch you. (laughs) Yep. We were both so young still. I mean, I was still 21, 22 years old. Um, and, and so we dated that first year and he was so kind and just so willing to take everything on and help with everything. Um, but I, like I said, hadn't gone through that grieving, gone through that mourning. And so we actually, I broke up with him at, um, about a year out and I, I took a good two years to myself and that those two years, I really is when I dug deep to figure out who I really was and, and come to terms with that loss that I had experienced and became a dog mom and (laughs) swore off all other boys. And then, um, yeah. And then it just, just happened that we went to dinner, um, about two years after we'd broken up and after that dinner everything just clicked and we I think got married six months from that dinner that we had gotten back together at and 
just never, never went back after that. That's so beautiful. And I'm so proud of you for taking that time and space to really just figure out you. Because doing that within the confines of relationship, you know, if you're already married, that's one thing to have to go through something like that. But to really figure out who you are and come in more whole than you were, that's, that's really a gift to yourself and to him as well. It was. I'm sure we could have figured it out together, but I just had to learn how to love myself again in my body. And once I could do that, it made it easier for me to fully love someone else, I think. I don't think I could have fully gone into a relationship that first time around. Sure, sure. And as we hear in the background, I love the baby coos, (laughs) which is awesome. You now have your first baby. Tell me about being pregnant and being in a wheelchair. What would I not think about or what would I not know? Cause you already said you kind of get anxiety being in your chair and being seated all the time. How's that also having a belly? Is that rough? Yeah. You know, be, being pregnant wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was. Oh, um, good. I thought I was going to have difficulty loading my wheelchair. I thought I would have to stop walking once my abs split. Cause I compensate a lot with my abs to walk. And mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of leg strength. So it's this, gamut of arm strength abs and a little bit of legs to walk sure and so I thought once I'm pregnant I'll have to give all these things up but he'll be worth it but I really I was walking and and teaching and and doing everything up until I I stopped at 36 weeks just to give myself a few weeks to get ready and being pregnant really I was I was much more nervous than I needed to be I really was just just like anyone else, just using a wheelchair to, yeah. to get around. I'm sure some pregnant women really would rather have would a prefer wheelchair a wheelchair. Yeah. Well, and I, I would say that you've already, you know, had your dose of physical hardship. So all, yeah, the good Lord needed to bless you with an easier pregnancy. That's for <laughs> <Yes>. sure. <laughs> I'm if so I'm glad. If ever going to have more, it needed to go smoothly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Give you a little bit of hope in that. And early motherhood, was it what you expected? You're five months in. Tell me the best and the hardest parts for you. Yeah. So, you know, early motherhood, you're just learning this little human anyways. And on top of that, I was trying to learn this little human in my body and my wheelchair. That was way harder than pregnancy just because I had kind of theorized about some ways I could care for him and get him around. But, um putting it into action and, and, um, testing them out was, was a whole different, different ball game. And so we had some failed attempts, no drop babies, but, mm-hmm. <laughs> but definitely some things that did work and didn't work. And we've just found for those early on stages, um, just having him in a wrap all the time when he couldn't support himself, he was constantly in a wrap on my body as we transferred and went to and from. And then now, now it's nice because he's starting to get stronger and stronger and able to balance more on his own. So he can just sit on my lap without me having to wrap them all up. And when we go out, we still wrap all up and get all safely secured in. But at home, we're able to, to get around a little quicker. And it's not my favorite way, like I said, in my wheelchair, but... Right now, it's the best way and the safest way to get him around. Yeah, you just do what you got to do. And we're all, as moms, regardless of in a wheelchair or not or whatever it is, we're all just trying to figure out the best ways to do things. And sometimes we think in our mind, oh, this will work. This is how I'm going to get three kids in and out of the car and into the cart and through Target without anybody dumping something. You know, we all think in our mind these best practices. And then until you do it, you really have no clue. (laughs) 
yeah, it's so true. You can theorize all you want, it's, but real life is... It's all the same. It is. It's all the same. And that perspective will take you so, so far. You are amazing. <laughs> and so how are you a different mom, do you think? I mean, you know, not having a motherhood experience prior to this, to your accident, it's hard to really know, but... How do you think you mother differently now than you would have had you never had these other life experiences? Yeah. So before my accident, I was just go, go, go. I hated sitting still. Like physically being still was so painful for me. Sitting through movies was not enjoyable. And so I did my thinking and my pondering and praying while I was running. Like that was my time to think things through. I didn't sit down and do yoga and and sit and think. Um, I did it while I was running. And so this accident really caused me to slow down and to learn how to be still. And I'm glad I had the the stepping stone to get to motherhood um, of slowing down because I've just learned even more so now to just slow down. And even though I want to get 100 things done, I have just my new little mantra is just being present is being productive because I have all these things I want to do, but I'm doing something if I'm being present with my baby, if I'm playing with him, if I'm making eye contact and smiling and reading with him, that is being productive. And and so that's what I just have to keep telling myself is my to-do list just doesn't get done. <laughs> I love that way of thinking of it. And, and as you said the word productive, I thought produce. Like when you are being present, what you're producing is the thing that's most meaningful to you. So if your goal is to be productive and check everything off your list, is that really what's most meaningful to you, to have a crumbless floor? You know, (laughs) sometimes my life reflects that that's my value, and it's not. Uh What I want to produce is humans that feel like they're loved and taken care of and that mom took the time for them. That's productive. Ha-ha. I love that. (laughs) That really struck me. Where you put your value, yeah. Yeah. Doing the things where you put your value. I'm going to think on that even more. That That is a really beautiful shift because productivity, we get to choose what we're productive at. And producing good humans should be our number one goal as a mom. It's hard, though, because it's not as easily measurable as, oh, the yeah. dishes are cleaned in the sink. Check. Right. The floor right. is clean. Check. I did this many hours of work. I did this much exercise. You know, like true. helping a child develop isn't necessarily check marks because they're constantly developing and growing and changing. And that's been the most magical thing that I've noticed as I've been present and mm-hmm. yeah, and just in the moment. Yeah, it is tricky, but the more you're aware of it, the more you can combat that and then just make the decisions to live more intentionally. And that's really and truly what you're doing, which is so beautiful. So I know there's a lot of moms listening who are working through stuff. Maybe they're dealing with physical challenges, mental challenges, hard relationships um, with their kids, hard seasons. What would you tell that mom that is struggling, who's feeling like they're lacking or they're just trying to overcome a weakness right now? Oh, I've thought on this. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned in life is weaknesses, trials, difficulties, those are all opportunities to grow. You know, it as, as hard as that is to hear when you have those things going on, that just means growth is happening and growth will continue to happen as you continue to work on those things. And those things aren't necessarily fun. And sometimes learning and growing is painful and soul stretching and physically stretching sometimes, but just 
just seeing those as opportunities to grow. And, you know, if we were so strong in every area of life, it would be kind of boring because there wouldn't be any growth. We wouldn't have these aha moments. We wouldn't be able to write down and see the changes in, in our lives. And it would be kind of stagnant if we were just perfect at everything. Life, I really think, would be boring if we were just all perfect at everything. So just seeing them as opportunities to grow and change and become better. Yeah. Because, I mean, just look at your life now. Um, I was talking to someone the other day who – likes to to feel like they're in control and kind of know everything and we were talking about how feeling like a know-it-all really limits your potential to dream big because you're also limiting what you think for your future but if you're leaving it kind of wide open like whatever life throws at me whatever is going to happen or not happen it's all for my good that's like a much healthier more fulfilling way to approach it than just this is what I want to be or this is what I want to achieve by a certain age or whatever because that's truly limiting even if they're high goals uh-huh mm-hmm. it is yeah so what's what's next for you what's next for your family or for your motherhood or what's next You know, I just feel like every single week and month is such a change in in my little boy's life. And I just feel like I am constantly learning new ways to do things. Mm. I think maybe I'll get back to the classroom. Maybe I'll I'll find a a field of of work that really resonates with me. But right now, this job is keeping me busy from... (laughs) For sure. More than 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. I was going to say 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., but it's more hours than that. That's for sure. All moms know that. It is. Do you remember that commercial a few years ago when they interviewed a bunch of people for a job? They said, okay, you're interviewing for this job that's, um, you know, cleanup. There's a lot of physical labor. There's a lot of emotional work to be done. It's like 24-7. And they go on and on, and they're like, you don't get paid and they're like, uh, what? <laughs> what the heck? What job is this? And it's and it's motherhood. That's the that's the job, right? <laughs> it is. It is a full time. It's a hard job. It I, is. That's what I've realized yes. too in these last few months. It is hard. It is hard, and it's also awesome. So it can be all the things. That's for sure. Brittany, it has been such a pleasure getting to talk to you. Thank you for sharing so openly about your accident. I'm sure it is really hard to revisit that stage in your life. Um, but I just really want to commend you for going there and for working to the point where you are now because the depth and the wisdom and the application of that wisdom in your life, it is blowing me away. And all of my listeners are going to be so encouraged by your story and by what you've done with your story. You're amazing. Well, thanks for giving me the chance to share it. Like I said, everyone's got a story, and and it's just got to come out, and this is just one way for me to share it, yeah. so thanks for letting me. Where can people find you online? Um, Let's see. BrittanyAnn278 on Instagram, or I, I try and write pretty regularly on my blog. I think it's just BrittanyAnnFisherBlogspot. Like I said, I had a hard time letting go of my old name. I changed a lot of things. For sure. Your name is on everything. It's so annoying. (laughs) It is. When you have to change it, that's a lot. Yeah, it is. Those are a couple of the places. It is. Well, I always ask my guests just one final question, and it's this, Brittany. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? 
I think that just that I can do it with the wheelchair, with going places. I think everyone kind of doubted, like, if I'd be able to do this on my own. And my husband works full time, and we're doing it. He's taken care of. We get things done, and I can do it. And I figured it out. So just I would tell myself, you'll figure it out. You'll, You'll get there. And you are. You are. Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time today. It was such a joy getting to chat with Brittany today. Didn't you just fall in love with her? She is such a joy to follow online, and she's one of those presences that comes across your feed on Instagram, and you're so glad to see a dose of her day and of her smile and of her gratefulness for motherhood and for life. There's something about people that have had a really traumatic event happen in their life where they faced mortality literally, and they've come out on the other side stronger and deeper and wiser. And that is Brittany. And I just want to learn from her and glean from her joy and appreciation for living life, living life a new way, but living life nonetheless. So powerful. Oh, love it so much. So Pictures of Brittany and her cute, cute family, including her baby son, is over on ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me, you can do that at JessicaDahlquist3 on Instagram or on Facebook at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast. I heard from a lot of you last week that the money tips from Natalie were so very helpful, and so we're going to shift a little bit to some new money tips coming out this Friday, but it's about saving for college. Abby Chow is the co-founder of College Backer, and she's going to talk about how you can start saving for college now, even if you have a baby in your tummy, even if you have a toddler, or if you have a 16-year-old and you're starting to freak out about how much college costs. (laughs) It's never too late. And College Backer is a program that will help you to save for college, and she even has an incredible offer where she can help you get started today. So I hope that you will check out this Friday's episode with Abby Chow about saving for your kids' college. Money is a tricky, tricky thing because kids are expensive. (laughs) So whether you have one or 15, does anybody have 15 out there? DM me if you have 15 kids. I'd love to know. Whether you have one or you have, how about four? Let's say that. Money can be a huge stressor in a home or it can be something that gives you freedom because you know you're planning ahead. So equip yourself with these resources now. So hopefully these episodes will help you to do just that. So check that out this Friday. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning into the podcast, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.